Hanishima, the Voice of Breath podcast with Noam Sendor. My guest on today's podcast is Moish Faglin. Moish is a musician, a social worker, a desert tour guide, a spiritual guide, and a beautiful human being, and he is, of course, also one of my dearest friends. In this episode, Moy shares with us his unique relationship with the nigun, a nigun being a wordless melody that is chanted to bring a person into a state of ecstasy and connection with the divine. Moish also shares some insights into his inspiration behind the song Breathe that, of course, serves as our theme song to this podcast. And his insights truly capture what this meditation is all about, and I think also share a powerful message for this point in time. The wide-ranging interview finishes with Moish sharing one of his favorite nigunim with us, the Paltover nigun, and I invite you to sit and to listen and to be transported by the powerful, powerful melody, a form of meditation in its own right. I hope you enjoy. It gives me great joy to welcome my dearest of friends, Reb Moish Faglin. Moish, how are you? Thank God, Noam. I'm doing great. Really happy to be here with you. Oh, it's such a such a special thing, you know, to be able to to share this space and to share you with with the wider world. And and you're somebody who I've learned so much from over over the years, ten plus years now uh, of our friendship and. Uh, you know, and so many people as well have been so positively impacted by your life. And so I wanted to to take some time to sit down with you, but also uh, for those people who are paying attention, the theme song to this podcast is a beautiful song by Reb Moish called Breathe, uh, which we'll talk about a little bit later, because I think that really has to do with a lot of stuff that's going on in the world right now and what this podcast is 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 about. And so, Ramoish, it's really awesome to to be able to to spend just a few minutes talking with you. I know you got your kids in the other room. I got my co- kids in the other room. You know, lockdown podcasts are <laughs> somewhat somewhat complex. But as I do with, with all of my guests, I'd love to just hear a bit about your journey. Now, I know somewhat of your journey, but maybe many people out there don't. And so from wherever you want to start, I'd love to hear kind of what your journey has been and that's brought you to this place or brought you uh, within yourself. And, and you know, we specifically focusing on Jewish meditation. And so how did you come across, you know, Pnimut, the, the inner dimension of the Torah, whatever you want to do, we'd love to hear from your voice. So I'll try and keep it um, sort of brief and relevant. Um, and I guess my, my journey towards Pnimut and Jewish mysticism, meditation, started around um, around the time that I was 18, sort of spending my year in Israel after high school. I was always a kind of searching, existentially-minded um, kid um, and looking and, and searching and trying to find things, answers. Um, and then in Israel, I started to learn Hasidut and 
get a sense that there's other ways to experience Judaism than than the sort of um, upbringing that I had, and ended up studying in Yeshiva Mayanot in, in Yerushalayim for a couple of years, and there also connecting to music and nigunim and starting to play and perform and write songs and um, and then it sort of developed over the years um, at the different stages through my interests in music and uh, studying therapy and becoming a social worker and trying to integrate some of those parts into Judaism and having a band. Um, and ultimately, uh, six and a half years ago, coming to Israel and making Aliyah with my family and, and now live in a place called Tekoa, which is uh, in the eastern side of Gush Etzion, at the edge of the Midbar Yehuda. Um, and that's opened up a whole another kind of channel of music and connection, living in Israel and living in this very special part of Israel, being connected to nature, and also discovering the broadness of the Jewish experience as it can be lived in Israel. Um, yeah, I don't know if that kind of summarizes it. Yeah. That's um, that's a beautiful place to start for sure. I mean, you know, definitely anybody who knows you here in Melbourne knows that when you left Melbourne, it was a big loss for this community because you brought so much. But we're also on the same the same token. So happy for you to be able to go and be in that land and, and discover a different part of yourself and allow your family to find its roots in Eretz Israel and the land of Israel, which is so so beautiful and so powerful. You mentioned that you. You, uh, you know, discovered in a sense of music when you were 18, but were you playing, you know, during your teens? Were you playing guitar? You learned guitar? It was only once you kind of went away to yeshiva. Mm. Well, also, it's it's funny you say that. Like, I, I come from a musical family. Uh, my father's a chazan and my sisters, are, I have four sisters, all of them sing beautifully and they play piano. As a kid, probably first, second grade, I learned, I went to piano lessons, but I didn't have the discipline to practice and that was kind of the deal breaker for my parents. If you want to continue, you have to practice. So I dropped it. And uh, when I was about 15, 16, I, I borrowed a guitar from, from someone and I started playing. And I think it was more than, you know, some kind of escape or self therapy. I would sit in my room for hours and hours and hours and, and practice and play guitar. But I, I don't think it was, it was so much a spiritual experience. It was more, you know, I was into kind of Nirvana, Metallica, all this kind of dark stuff. Um, but the music was a way to kind of escape whatever kind of existential torment I was going through as a kid, quite as, you know, adolescent. Um, and then coming to Israel, I started playing more Jewish music and I had a guitar with me and I was able to open up a new channel. And that's when I started writing songs as well. Before then, it hadn't even occurred to me that I, I could write songs or I could kind of express my feelings through music. Um, and then things started to change and open up. And so that's, I mean, in a sense where, when did Fetter Hendel become a thing? At what point did, you know, Fetter Hendel's your original music as opposed to the, you know, the Simcha music, so the, the wedding band and, and that sort of stuff. When did Fetter Hendel come to be and, and how did it come to be? Great, that's a great question, um, and good to reflect on. I'm, I've got a, a big smile, you know, thinking about this mm -hmm. story. So, so I was involved in 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 Hamayan with Zev Gelba, uh, other good friend who I played music with for many years, and we had brought Shlomo Katz to Melbourne, which is also you know, our mutual connection. 
And at the time, I had written some songs, and there's this amazing musician called Jonathan Zion, who's a bass player, is also a producer. And we're sitting out the parking lot um, of a concert, the Shlomo Katz concert. I can't remember if it was before the concert or after the concert. And we were talking. I was talking with Jonathan Zion. He's like, what are you up to? I said, well, actually, I've written a few songs, and I'd love to do something with them. And he's like, come over, um, play them for me. And uh, sat down in his living room, and he gave me this very special kind of full attentiveness to to the songs that I had written. I never really shared them with anyone before. And they moved him, and he's like, let's let's make an album. And from there, the kind of better handle uh, was born. And that was a really powerful experience, um, working with a producer, taking this kind of very raw material, raw both musically and raw both sort of emotionally raw um, and turning it into music um, with a band being in a in, being in a studio having the rehearsals being in the mixing room and I remember when I got my master which is like the final um, cut of the music and it was just a disc that came out of the computer a CD um, and the guy who was mixing it you know took out his sharpie and wrote, you know, better handle the album and copy master. And I had this dianal moment that even if mm. nothing happened to this and I never, no one ever listens to it, the, the mm. process was powerful. It was dianal. Um, yeah. But thank God also from there I was able to perform and play shows and, and do a whole lot of stuff with that. So that's, that's been a great experience. Mm. And of course we will, as in any podcast any description to any podcast we've done so far there's a link that you can click that'll take you to uh to fetter Hendel's music and and obviously there'll be one in this particular one of course and you know one of the byproducts of meditation or of a spiritually oriented life is of course gratitude and so i'm going to share a bit of gratitude with you because if it wasn't for your kind of push and encouragement to me, I wouldn't have put myself out there to to make record my own music. And some of my earliest, I, I had some experiences in Israel playing, performing music. The guy named Noah Lubin, a dear friend of mine, we put some music together. But when I came here, you know, I was kind of whatever. I was a bit um, wasn't sure of of myself and where I wanted to go. And you gave me some opportunities to jump on stage with you and different things, and that that gave me a bit of push. And so. You know, you've always given me the encouragement along the years, so I, I extend my gratitude to you. Uh, thanks, man. That's uh, <laughs> nice to hear. <laughs> now, this name, Fetter Hendel, uh, I believe it has uh, some, some deep significance for you because, of course, your name is uh, Moshe Hendel. Who's Hendel? Yeah, so Hendel, Hendel um, is my great-great-uncle. Uh, his name is Hendel Lieberman. Uh, he's a Holocaust survivor, a very interesting and unique uh, character of his time. He grew up in Russia. He was an artist. And, you know, there's lots of legends about him, lots of stories about him. But suffice it to say, he didn't fit into the Chabad mold whatsoever. I think he was kicked out of Cheder for um, illustrating his Gomorrah instead of paying attention. Eventually stopped being religious and went to the Moscow Academy of Art. Um, and became quite an accomplished artist. This is just before the Second World War. Um, he was married with two children, and he, I, I don't know the exact details, but his wife and his two daughters were killed by the Nazis, and uh, he managed to survive the war to move to 
the United States and was really a broken man subsequent. Um, and he went to the Lubavitcher Rebbe for guidance to deal with his depression. And the Rebbe encouraged him to paint, to, to come back to painting and to hold exhibitions. And he ended up uh, becoming a Balshuva and coming back to his Hasidic roots. And the Rebbe encouraged him to recreate the world that was lost in the Holocaust through his art. Um, and he's, a, he's an accomplished artist, um, beautiful paintings that are really vibrant and technicolor and have a lot of energy through them. And um, it was revolutionary for the time for the Rebbe to encourage a chassid to be painting and holding exhibitions and expressing his unique, authentic self through the medium of art. So I'm named after him. He's my great, great uncle, as I mentioned, but I also feel very spiritually aligned with him, um, you know, going through kind of challenges, spiritual challenges, and then finding a medium, um, for me, in my case, it's music, to express the inexpressible and to get in touch with that authentic self. So because also he doesn't have any living descendants, his wife and children didn't survive the war, um, I wanted to honor him and name the band in his memory or in, as his legacy. And he was affectionately known as Fetter Handel, which means Uncle Handel. He didn't have any children, but all the kind of lost misfits um, would end up in his apartment and Febreng with him and he would feed them and he would cook for them. And, and uh, that's kind of my way of honoring his memory and keeping mm. him alive. That's awesome. That's really, really powerful story. And, and you are doing that. You're doing that very thing to, you know, use your own art and your own talent, which no doubt was kind of spiritually passed down from him into you. And you've you've found your own voice, and you've also been able to help <laughs> many of the misfits find their connection. Wow. And I, I'd love to take a moment to to talk briefly about that this song that we use to open up mm. and close this podcast. And I thank you <laughs> once again for allowing okay. us to use that. And it's it's such a beautiful song, and I just want to share with you something very briefly. A, a a student of mine actually was listening to the podcast and said, you know, that when when she finishes me the meditation, because basically, like, I have just a, a bit of the song in the beginning, and then at the end, I play the first two verses into the chorus, and uh. you know, so the first verses she's like all right i'm done meditating i feel really good and then the lyrics come on about you know you want to give up and that sort of stuff she's like why do you why do you do that i said well i do that because that's the beginning of the song but i said that wow. you know that there's this you know there's feelings of despair and despondency in the world right now but amidst wow. it all we sit with that pain and wow. we need to create space where we can breathe and she was wow. like yeah i hear that i hear that uh, but I'm wondering, you know, what was the inspiration behind that song and, and what are you trying to, to share with the world through that song? So I wrote the song, it's now seven years ago exactly that I wrote this song. Um, and I had been visiting Israel on a pilot trip um, before my Aliyah with, uh, with Zev, uh, my friend Zev, who also made Aliyah together with my family. And it was a crazy time to be here because um, the three boys who were kidnapped, they were found uh, uh, dead. Um, and then the Gaza war had started and we were coming to Israel to try and see if we wanted to move our families there from Melbourne, Australia, where, you know, 
um, things were really good. You know, I had a, had a really good job and band and family and things were really in a good place. And it was really crazy to be in Israel during that time and to feel the terror and to feel the chaos. And I remember when we were on the tarmac leaving back to Melbourne, there were literally missiles landing in Tel Aviv and we weren't sure if the plane was going to take off. And there was this kind of guilty feeling like, I want to get out of here ASAP on the one hand. And on the other hand, how can we abandon our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land? And a lot of feelings, a lot of mixed feelings, feelings of like, wow, I really want to move to Israel. But I was like, this is really, you know, this is real, you know. I came back to Australia and I think a day or two afterwards, I sat down by a piano and the song kind of just, the words and the music kind of came to me. And like your student reflected, there is there is a lot of kind of uh, despair in the song. Um, reflecting on the state of the world and the challenges and remembering that the only thing that sometimes you can do um, if, you, if things feel out of control is to bring awareness into the present moment where you find yourself through your breath. And that's a kind of prayer. That's a meditation to be able to be present in whatever is happening. Um, and it, it was inspired also by a teaching from Rabbi Nachman, a wrestler that I had heard. Um, and it's in response to a very common, frustrating uh, expression in you know Israeli slang, which is "ein malasot." You know, you want a refund for something, "ein malasot." You want to, you know, you want to do something. There's nothing you can do about it, "ein malasot." And Rabbi Nachman says, "Tamid yesh malasot." There's always something you can do. And I was reflecting on this concept and thinking, well, what if there's really nothing you can do? You know, what if you can't change the things that are uncontrollable? But there is something you can do. You can meditate. You can pray. You can be present. And that's what you can do. And that's the most basic thing. So the song, um, the song was inspired by that. Uh, and I've been playing it for the last seven years, I guess, at different concerts and and and. Performances, but I never had an opportunity to record it. And this year, with this, you know, really difficult pandemic that's affecting everyone in different ways, but I think it's really forcing everyone to confront themselves, uh, whether it's in through their physical health or their emotional and spiritual health. Um, I had this strong sense that I need to record this song and, and get it out there. So I've been collaborating with a friend from Australia who lives in Germany. He's been doing the arrangements. I've sent him the music, you know, the recordings and vocals and some instruments which is one beautiful advantage of this post you know or this corona world where people are working remotely so i'm recording a song half in tokoa the other half in germany mixing it together and now it's on your podcast so yeah that's the story of the song amazing amazing and it's it's such a powerful song and it, i think it does in many ways kind of it, it epitomizes what's going on in the world and just the importance of of setting aside time, like you said, breathing into that moment. And, and right now, I mean, we today this very I'm recording this on a Sunday. I guess it's Sunday by you as well. And things have become a bit more intense here in the Jewish community as COVID has seemingly found its you know its place within our community, unfortunately. And people are feeling a bit more anxious and stressed out and starting mm. to lash out at each other. And and I think 
yeah, the more more we as individuals can just kind of set aside that time because in my last in a sense, right? What can we do? There's things that we can't control beyond us, but okay, what mm. can we control? And so this this song is in, in a sense become an anthem, and so it's mm -hmm. uh, and we and we thank you for that. And and you, I mean your your official release is soon, right? It's in a couple of weeks. It's not just you haven't released it officially yet. I haven't released it officially, and you know you said about me pushing you, and you've been pushing me because <laughs> I have this thing with, and you know this for, as being a musician, you know there's always this little niggle where you think yeah. oh, I could be a drop better, or, you know you have to let go at a certain point. And I recorded two versions of the song: one, the one that I've sent you, um, which is just the song, and that's finished. And then I have another another version, which is like a seven-minute version of the song, and inside the song there's going to be a meditation, a breath meditation uh, embedded um, mm. in the song. So you can have the extended version if you want to use it actually as a meditation. Um, but I, you know, sent it for mixing and I'm, I'm not happy with the meditation, but I think I'm going to have to let go. I'm, I'm saying now on air that I want to release the song <laughs> for Chai Elul, which is the Baal Shem Tov's birthday nice, and nice. as a little birthday present. So that's happening. So I've got to get it done. Um, Beautiful. Get it done. Also, <laughs> yeah, get it done. You know, what I say, we, you have to go for progress, not perfection. Otherwise, nothing will that's, ever happen. That's for sure. That's for sure. And, and you mentioned the Baal Shem Tov and Chai Elul. So the Baal Shem Tov, for those of you who are not aware, the Baal Shem Tov was the great uh, kind of pioneer of the Hasidic movement of the mystical groups that that developed in in 17th century and on in, in Europe and really revolutionized Judaism and it has many different expressions and manifestations in the world today but there's no question that the Baal Shem Tov revolutionized Judaism and each Hasidic sect has their own unique musical tradition and almost every Rebbe almost every leader they would perform, they would create, they would write their own nigunim. And so that's really our focus today in a sense of this podcast, because of course, I mean, we could, I could talk to Moish about anything forever, uh, but our focus is about the nigun as a unique Jewish meditative technique. Now, other traditions, other spiritual traditions have their own types of melodies that they use for meditative purposes. But the nigun is a, a unique sort of thing. It is, it, it, I don't know, can you can you explain briefly what a, a nigun is and how you relate to it and how it's, uh, you know, kind of impacted your life? Absolutely. It's nigunim is something that I'm, I'm really passionate about and um, really big part of my identity and my my sort of spiritual experience. Enigun essentially is a wordless melody. So it's a tune that's hummed or, chant or chanted and it contains no lyrics. Um, and the reason for that is very simple, is that the Enigun is supposed to be an inner journey um, where your journey is directed by the music but not by the words. So you're not limited to the meaning of the, the words, rather you allow the your inner experience to be expressed through the journey of the, the melody. Some nigunim are, are called like nigun simcha, which means a joyous nigun, and they're usually um, shorter and less complicated in terms of their music, 
Um, and then you have nigun of gaguim, which is nigunim which are about yearning. Um, there are nigunim which are more meditative. And I experience them as a journey. The nigun can start slow. It can start also on a low octave and guide you through several octaves. They can break general musical conventions by going from major to minor or vice versa, or even having key changes or octave jumps within the nigunim. Um, and that's an expression of the soul and the soul's journey. Um, some of them follow a format of uh, the first part being, let's say, a state of bliss, which is supposed to represent the soul before it's entered the body. And it can be uh, a second section, which might be a state of confusion or some kind of turmoil, which is you know the soul and the body trying to make sense of their relationship and trying to understand the chaos of the world. And then the third stanza going back into a sort of, I guess, more of a mature bliss, which is a sense of understanding or reconciliation between the paradoxes of life. That's one format. Um, a lot of the Chabad Nigunim, um, which uh, I connect to, um, I come from that Chabad lineage, um, follow that format. Um, and the Nigunim can be two minutes long, they can be seven minutes long. And if they're sung with a, in a group, often... You can sing one nigun for 10, 15, 20 minutes and completely lose yourself inside the nigun. Um, I'm wondering if there's any, have there been any experiences that you've had, anything that kind of stands out, particularly memorable experiences of singing a nigun in a large group? Yeah, yeah, actually. So I mentioned earlier in the interview when I was a teenager and I had my personal struggles and particularly with religion and God and spirituality. Um, and I wasn't very interested in being religious at the time. I come from a religious home, but I was rebelling, and it's the usual story. Um, and I used to religiously attend something called the Seder Nigunim. Now, we all know what a Pesach Seder is. And it's an order, you know, that we conduct on Pesach. A Seder Nigunim is a kind of dedicated time to just go through Nigunim, uh, a sort of set of Nigunim. And I used to go Shabbos afternoon um, to someone's house, and we would sit and sing Nigunim. And uh, there was someone who would lead it. It's called a Balmanagan, a master of Nigunim, who had a really strong, um, like, cachet of of of, of, um, of Nigunim in his repertoire. And it was very, very powerful, and and I still think about that from time to time. It made a very strong impression of me. Um, it's a spiritual experience with no strings attached. It's not a, a, a specific prayer. It doesn't have to be done in a specific moment. You're just there to connect. So that um, that experience is very salient. And the second one is when I was in Yeshiva, in the Mayanot Yeshiva, we would have these Fabrengans late into the night. And I remember we would sing certain Nigunim, and I remember... Um, singing and having this feeling we're in a group and we were singing and going stronger and deeper and deeper and more and more into the same nigun over and over and over again and having this feeling like the only thing i want right now is to just climb into this nigun and be completely absorbed by it this is all i want you know this is this is all i am right now um so profound that i use that memory to remember that nigun. And I say that because with a regular song, you just have to think of the first lyric or the chorus, and 
you can easily remember the 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 song. But nigunim have no lyrics, so the only reference is the music. For me, the way that I remember nigunim is I have to reference the feeling. And if I can go back to the emotion that I experienced during that particular nigun or what it brings up for me, then the song kind of appears in my musical mind. I don't know how to explain it. I think that makes that makes a lot of sense. There's no question. Can I can yeah. I ask? If, do you remember what nigun that was? That particular one? Yeah, that was the. Um, it's called the Chachila Ariba, uh, mm-hmm. and which is a nigun by, I believe, the Rebbe Maharash. Um, and the theme is he had this anthem or a motto, which was the Chachila Ariba, that if you're faced with an obstacle. The lecharchila, the the first choice should be Ariba to jump over that obstacle. And he said that most people, if they encounter an obstacle, they try and figure out how to get around it or get underneath it. Or it's a very Chabad kind of centric idea. It's like there is no obstacle; you got to jump. And the hook of the nigun is. Which is the movement of just jumping over that obstacle. Mm. And we would get in this loop where we just go, and just sing it over and over and over and over. And you're like, is this ever going to end? I don't want it to end. Just more and more and more. And you can, you can feel uh, like we felt invincible at that, at that moment. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Now, in, in just a few moments, you're going to share with us some other nigunim. And I was wondering if you could just run us through briefly which nigunim you're going to share, right? It's about, you know, I want people to, to get a sense about what these nigunim are trying to do. So I, I was wondering what you're planning to share with us. Yeah, so the nigun I want to share with you, I'm going to share in a few moments, is called the Poltava nigun. Uh, I don't know the history of it, um, but I know that um, it's, a very, it's a very deep nigun and it's, it has a lot of yearning in the nigun, um, the yearning of transcendence, the yearning of, I think, of spirit over matter. And whoever wrote this nigun, and I don't know who composed it, I'm not sure if we, we have a lineage about who wrote it, was clearly a very spiritual, mystical person. Um, and I sing this nigun a lot. I'm going to say something also that sounds a bit strange, but I had this feeling that, you know, when my when my time is up in this world, uh, this is the nigun that I want to uh, be sent off with to the next plane. It's a nigun that can take you from from this world to the next world. Um, and it's also a celebration, I think, because the yearning is not dark or mournful. It's just expressing a reality, which is that there's a conflict between my body and my soul, and I need to honor my body and connect to my body and also, by the same token, nurture my spirit. And the nigun is that place where that can happen. Um, so even though it, it, it appears somber or it has a kind of somber um, sort of atmosphere to this nigun, I actually find it quite joyful and uplifting as well. It sounds, I mean, incredibly appropriate for the the world situation, which is a world of conflict and and yearning and contrast, and it's learning to be with with what is. I mean, that doesn't mean that there isn't work for all of us to do. I mean, we've got work to do here, but it's also, I mean, a big part of it is just like 
just being with it and yearning, you know, and, and I think there's an incredible power in yearning. And, you know, like, for example, I yearn to be in Eretz Yisrael every single day. I yearn to be in the land of Israel. Right now, it doesn't seem super practical. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things that are in the way, real things. And you could say, okay, jump over. It's not that simple, right? Uh, but right. I'm in that place of yearning, yearning right now and, and being with that, which is painful. It's painful to yearn for something that uh, doesn't seem to be, which is, I guess, a, a powerful message in general, right? It's like we're all yearning for redemption. We're all yearning for salvation, for for healing, right? And And where is it? Where is it? So let's, we have to be in the yearning, you know? Totally. And I think, mm. and I think that's a powerful point because, you know, like the yearning, like I say, yearning for redemption and yearning for the deeper, more important things that often, you know, we're often not aware that that's really what's moving us or it's really what's underlying our sadness or anxiety. Is it, you know, we anxious about what, what's it really about? You know, when you want to peel away the layers, and again, I think the Nigun is, in, is that interface or that vehicle to say, all right, am I yearning because I didn't get, you know, this coffee this morning or I can't go out to my favorite restaurant because it's COVID? Or am I yearning because I feel like there's something happening here that I don't understand? There's a force, you know, that's controlling the world and I have no agency or autonomy here. Like what, what's the yearning? What's, what's underneath, you know, your anxiety? What's underneath your sadness or, or the fear? And the Nigun gives a voice to that. Um, the Nigun he doesn't need to say it in words. It's saying it in, in the kol pashut, you know, in the simple voice of like, what does that feel like to be confused? Or what does that feel like to be lost? You know, giving that a voice allows people, even if they're not, let's say, tuned into that, that kind of inner knowledge to get there. Um, it's a bridge that you can use to cross to get to that place. Amazing, beautiful, beautiful, and you know, I know, I'm I'm sensitive to the fact that you got your kids there in the other room, and and I'm excited to hear these the, uh, this nigun in just a moment. But I'm wondering, I wonder where you think where to for the for <laughs> I know it's a big big question, but where to? What's the next step? What do we? What should we be focusing on? Where, you know. What advice do you have for those people out there listening? People who want us to want to grow, who want to feel a bit more, uh, you know, just a bit more at home and, and a bit more inner peace. And, and you know, there's so much suffering. What what can you share with us to kind of give us a bit of support here? That's a big one. Wow. I know. <laughs> it's a big one. You know what? It's also I can I, I can I can share from a place of 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 what's working for me and what I'm seeing. Okay, and that's and that's that's what I've got to share, and that is that um, I, I guess I distill it to two things. The first thing is learning how to surrender to to you know to God's will, and when I say God's will, I'm not talking about uh, what's written in the books um, or the Shulchan Aruch. I'm talking about surrendering to the fact that we are powerless over many things in our life. And then once we've surrendered, then I can come into contact with, with what is in my locus of control. And um, I can set aside time, you know, to connect. I can set aside time to pray. I can set aside time to meditate. Um, and, and not to run from those feelings. 
I think it's so important. That's number one. It's it's kind of simple in a way, like really surrendering and going back to what do you have, you know, and what is in your what is in your capacity to be able to do. The second is, despite the fact that there are restrictions on gatherings and ability to to congregate, not to do this alone. Like we need each other more than ever before, and to seek out you know like-minded people that want to share either with either a conversation that's more honest and more vulnerable, um, or space where that can happen, whether it's through music or other means of expression. But to realize that we can't do this on our own. Um, and even though there's a lot of pressure right now that we need to be on our own, that we need to find out those ways to be together. And it can look different. Doesn't necessarily not going to happen, you know, with 200 people in shul. But maybe that's not what we need right now. Maybe you just need two friends or three friends to sit with and and be real with, and that's going to uh, uplift each other together. And uh, that's why I got Noam. <laughs> that's mm. all I got well. to share. That's beautiful, and and I'm grateful to be able to sit with you, my dear friend, to be able to to spend time and and hear from you, and and I think that yeah, it's it'll be powerful for people to to hear some of these words, and and I know myself, and and a big part of this podcast is to kind of put myself out there, and if you're listening, wherever you're listening, you need a bit of support, and you know I'm here, and and I'm here to support. I'm easily uh, accessible, and, and I know Reboisha is the same, and we got to be there for each other, and like you said, it's going to look different. And it's going to feel different. But we have these yeah. tools. I mean, here we are. We're talking on this weird website that's recording us and putting it right into the podcast. It's pretty amazing. And, yeah. you know, and, and so there are these, it's not the same. It's not the same as the two of us sitting for a cup of coffee, you know, but uh, it, it's, it, it, you know, there are these tools today. And, and so, Ramoish, we're grateful for your time and for your wisdom and for your music and for everything that you do. And I want to, want to finish with the blessing that, you know, you just continue to draw down the light of healing and the light of music and healing music into this world. And, and may your voice reach the hearts that it needs to, to reach. And may those hearts awaken and then spread that light onward. And may you and your family just be blessed with health and happiness and parnasa and, and livelihood and, and just everything that you could possibly ask for. And you got to set things up for us so we can all get over there back to the land of Israel very, very soon. I look forward to being able to sit and have that cup of coffee with you in the backyard in the land of Israel very, very soon, my dear friend. I'm absolutely doing my best to make that happen. I can <laughs> <laughs> I love you, and I thank you for your time. And in just a moment, we're going to hear a beautiful... What's what's the nigun again? It's the... The nigun is called the Paltover nigun. The Poltava Renegade. Alright, I'll see maybe. Uh, Sorry, go for it. Yeah. I was just going to say it's about a hundred years old, and um, I hope you are able to find the time to connect to it and and to let it, you know, let it do its magic. Oh, man, I'll, maybe I'll do some digging and I'll put a little, see if I can find some info about it. I'll put it in the uh, in the description below. Ramoish, God bless. We'll see you very soon. We'll get you back on here very soon, I'm sure. Thank you, Noam, so much for having me on. And also thank you for just making this podcast happen. My pleasure. It's my, my deep pleasure. And everybody have a wonderful day. Thank mm -hmm. you.
Thank you for listening to the Voice of Breath podcast with Noam Sendor. The theme music is the song Breathe by Fetter Hendel. And remember, don't forget to breathe. It's lost its feet, calls for strength and guidance. And I say, I say to you, don't forget to breathe. And I say.